Welcome back to Exit Point. This episode, we have Sean Chuma joining us. He's made base jumping his life and livelihood for the better part of the last couple decades, moving from Southern California to Twin Falls to base jump full time. Despite being a world-renowned aerialist, tandem base developer, and base jumping instructor, he remains a soft-spoken ninja who's largely chosen to represent through action rather than words. So we're excited to get him on record and dive into his personal progression as well as pick his brain for tips and advice. For a bit of background, Chuma's athletic foundation has provided him with unique skills to perform successfully some of the most impressive and complicated aerial maneuvers in base jumping. He has named and performed several original tricks, including the game over and the tweener. Also, Chuma and his former business partners developed the world's first commercial tandem base jumping operation. We have a lot to talk about on this one, so without further ado, let's get Sean Chuma on the track. When did you make your first jump? I made my first jump in 2006, summer of 2006 at the Perrine Bridge. And when you were making that first jump, did it ever occur to you that that would be your life's pursuit? You know, I didn't really, in a way, I knew that I was going to do it for a long time, but I didn't realize that it was going to be like it is like I just I didn't see it coming like that I mean I liked base jumping tried it out and I was like oh this is pretty cool but the you know the way that it unfolded was was much different it was nothing I could have ever imagined I mean I wanted to be like when I was younger I wanted to be a pilot and then I wanted to be a then I kind of narrowed it down I was like no actually I want to be a stunt man and then um and then, yeah, it kind of turned into this, which is kind of like being a stuntman, doing cool stuff. I'm glad I don't have to fall down steps and stuff like that or do fight scenes because I'd probably hurt myself. <laughs> who who were your mentors and jumping partners in those early days? So my the guy that I did a class with was Bagster Gillespie. You guys know him? Yeah, he taught Ellen to jump as well. Oh, cool. Yeah, I love that dude. I haven't seen him for a long time, but... Yeah, he did my class and um, it was like a three-day thing and it was in October and it rained a lot. It was very windy. We didn't get a whole lot of jumps. We only did six, but he was um, he was a cool dude and he was a really good instructor and he had just gotten back from Mount Everest. I always tell everybody this because he was in really good shape and we hiked up every time. So he was just destroying us out of the canyon there and it was, uh, it was pretty intense, but he had a good time with that. And then uh, from there, I moved, you know, I was from San Diego at that time and I went back and I had a couple different mentors. So um, one of them was Lee San Martino. He took me on, I think, my first building. And then also Paul Somerset. I went and did a bunch of stuff with them and Adam Clark. Adam Clark had just learned how to base jump like a year before. I was closest with him. So once I came back, I think I went and like ground crewed for him. Or actually, no, we went and jumped the gravity antenna down there and then kind of went from there and then went and jumped some buildings in LA and yeah, all those guys were a big part of it. And then I moved away about six months later up to here and Lee's like, you'll probably have 6,000 jumps in like a year. And I was like, yeah, right. Not a year. <laughs> but eventually when I got 6,000 jumps, I called him up. I was like, dude, I'm at 6,000. I remember that one time when you said you're going to have 6,000 and uh, he's pretty <laughs> excited about that. <laughs> What drove you to transition from jumping and then into instruction? Well, I I was jumping a lot. Um, 
and doing, you know, I came from the gymnastics background. So I, I was doing lots of different aerials and stuff and I, I was just doing my thing. And then eventually I had people coming to me wanting to learn what I do. And it just kind of like mellowly went into teaching people. I remember this one guy came along and he's like, I want you to teach me how to base jump. And I was like, well, okay. And so I, I taught him, I did like a three day class or something and, and it worked out pretty well and I liked it. And, uh, I, I ended up building up a reputation and just ended up getting more and more students. And yeah, now I've taught close to 500 people, all small classes, like less than five people or less, which is kind of my style. I like to get to know everyone. So, cause I think one of the most important things is like their attitude towards everything. I don't want to just teach them and then throw them to the wolves. You moved from San Diego to Twin Falls when you started jump or when you started instruction was this before or after you moved i so i'd lived in twin falls for quite a while like several years before i started teaching okay so then so you moved out there just to be close to the bridge and for your own personal enjoyment just to be around yeah, the base. whole the whole reason i moved is because i'm <laughs> i got a good story about this actually but share it wanted Let's to do, do story <laughs> <laughs> i wanted it first though i wanted to get into you know, I wanted to combine my gymnastics with the base jumping. I kind of wanted to move to Norway, but I was scared of Norway because I always heard it was really expensive. I mean, I heard all these stories about people, you know, groceries are so expensive. We had to take all these power bars and stuff like that with us. And I was like, oh man, I don't think I can do it. And then uh, <laughs> I was like, well, I could probably do Idaho. That's not far away. And I used to live in Boise. So I was kind of familiar with places. So I was like, yeah, it's kind of a little more of the ghetto as far as base jumping places. But I'm going to go there. And then, yeah, I just kind of went to uh, Twin Falls to kind of just start doing flips and stuff and kind of saw how everything, see how everything would go. Um, but the story, so San Diego, I, I did my base jump course, then I went back to San Diego. I was a nightclub promoter and the type of promotion I did, like I tried to do actually some shows with the, like actually book DJs and different shows at the clubs downtown. And I totally like got into all kinds of debt um, because they just didn't work out. I kind of got screwed over a little bit by my old partner. Life lessons, you know, hard lessons. Ended up having to file or I ended up trying to pay off all these credit card bills and loan payments and everything. I couldn't keep up with the payments. Well, I, I kept up with them, but I had to f like basically sacrifice my house so I wouldn't have rent. And then I lived in my car. So I was homeless for like eight months down there in San Diego. Ended up getting a job like delivering pizzas and just whatever I could do. And I was also doing this nightclub thing at night, running around, putting flyers on cars. I was kind of close to this place that was used to be called On Broadway. I don't know what it's called now, but it was on like 6th and Broadway or something. And I was in the parking garage, running around in there, putting flyers on the cars. And this uh, security guard who I had seen the night before, so this is why he ends up being really pissed at me but he told me the night before not to come back but it was kind of my job to get flyers on the cars and stuff <laughs> and he i'm on the top floor the sixth floor of this parking garage and i see him and his eyes get real big and he starts running after me and he actually has a gun on his hip and oh, i'm like shit. throwing flyers to make like a little <laughs> oil smoke slick screen thing. like yeah yeah smoke <laughs> screen oil slick. I was like, yes this is gonna work <laughs> trying to make him slip or slow down and i run into the stairwell it didn't really slow him down and then I get one floor down and he threw his nightstick at me 
and hit me what? right on the top of the head, like right on the top of the head. And <laughs> I dropped to the ground and then the nightstick landed by me and I was like, I should grab this and like take it. Or that was my first thought. And I was like, wait, I better not do that. Cause then maybe I'll get in more trouble for like taking his weapon, you know? So I left it there and instantly I had a beanie on, which probably helped a little bit, but within three seconds, there was blood running down my face and I got up and just went home and it was just split wide open. I had to get it stapled shut. Ben Patassi and, and Bonnie from gravity gear took me to the hospital in Coronado the next day. And, uh, like I filed a police report and stuff like that and nothing ever happened. But because of that and another story where I got put in jail for passing the flyers around, like I got the, the cops surrounded me and made a huge deal out of it and like put me over this car and tried to charge me with a felony because I had pepper spray and a stun gun and the pepper spray was a, uh, it was in the little plastic case and they charged me with this, the, the felony charge was tampering with a tear gas weapon and I didn't know any better, but they said the label, it wasn't, they said it wasn't labeled. I didn't know that the label was on the can inside the plastic case. So I was like, shit, you know, like, sorry. <laughs> and I went to jail. My, I got bailed out by a friend, but I had to pay him back. Didn't get any of the money back. And then, uh, when I went to court, it was all gone. Like it was just purely harassment. And, um, yeah, the label was on the can. So I didn't really do anything wrong. They were just trying to teach me a lesson basically. And then after those two things, I was like, screw this. I can't do this anymore. It's way too stressful. And I moved up here to Twin Falls so that I could just jump. And then I used my degree Dang. to take. Yeah. So, so you left a stressful job to, to, to do another <laughs> stressful job. <Yeah. laughs> Oh, yeah, man. we're going to get into that, the stress of the job, but uh, while we're still on Southern California and uh, being chased by authorities, dude, I got a question for you. What uh, What's the most exciting building you've jumped in either San Diego or Los Angeles? <laughs> it has to do with you. Um, <laughs> remember that time we had like eight people and we went to... Uh, we went to the to jump off a crane. There was a bunch of us up there, and then the I think we were at Dave Shapiro's house. And yeah, we were uh, at Dave Shapiro's house. Yeah, and uh, Alex had brought this chick with us. And uh, there you found just from a party down the street, dude. Yeah, yeah. like you got to fill this in. She was just some rando from a street <laughs> party, like a couple doors down, and like he met her, and like she didn't even have shoes on. And uh, he invited her to come and like watch this base jump. <laughs> so she, yeah. So we're up on this, the, the crane and then this one car cop car pulls up and we're like, Oh no. And then in the right underneath and then another one. And eventually I think there was five or so. And Dude, uh, they, they were on like, every intersection surrounding the building. <laughs> yeah. So we just, I was like, Matt's up there being loud. Like he does. And like joking around and stuff. And I'm like, you guys shut up and just lay still. So we're, it was kind of cold and we're just laying up there hoping they can't see through the, the grating of the, you know, the, whatever the crane that we were on and we just wait and wait. And it must've been a couple hours. And like one of the ideas was maybe we can jump off and land on that hotel down there. And then, cause D remember Dave went down or something. Yeah. Dave got then, down and he was going to rent a room in the next hotel. We were going to jump onto that yeah. roof and then just like cruise into the hotel and disappear <laughs> and stay for the night. Yeah. But yeah. the hotel was sold out. So yeah. we're like, Oh no, that was such, it would have been so cool to do that. Um, 
but it didn't work out. And didn't so the whole problem was didn't the girl say that some crazy stuff yeah. like I yeah we had to leave said. the girl behind because she didn't have shoes and that's just not an appropriate like place to take somebody. You know we're not trying to get some drunk chick up you know ten flights of stairs in a construction zone. So we left her down at the parking lot and eventually like some street people started messing with her. And, uh, the cops got called and then eventually the cops asked her like, why are you here? And the only answer that she had to that question was like, well, I got taken by a a group of people that were going to go do this base jump and they're like up on this thing. And that like got the cop to call like, you know, all these people over to (laughs) to investigate the situation. Eventually we were quiet enough that like, they just moved on to other things, shift change and they were gone. And I think they did did end up taking that girl home or something. I can't remember what happened to her, but yeah, what a wild time. I th- dude, I thought you were yeah. going to, I thought you were going to say the, the Ritz Carlton jump was your favorite. That's oh, my favorite man. jump from back in the day that we well, did. You know, the other one, that one we were talking about, we didn't even get to jump. So I guess that yeah, doesn't count. Right. But yeah. Now that you mentioned yeah. it, I did jump that a couple of times, but that second time me and Donald kind of looked at it and everything. And then, you guys were like, let us come. And we're like, well, okay, that's a lot of people. We have five people. We, me and Donna are like, okay, we're going to jump first. And then you guys get your own getaway car. <laughs> this was he, hilarious, man. Oh God. It was a, a run. It was a hundred, a hundred yard runner off the top of the Ritz Carlton hotel in downtown Los Angeles. And we had, we had broken into the roof uh, not knowing that it was also a staple cent and a staple center event night and um the uh the a Lakers event game center. or something. Yeah, dude. It was like the American Music on. Awards and a Lakers game. That's right. And so like when we were jumping, literally thousands of people were like flooding onto the <laughs> streets. And uh <laughs> we had two getaway cars that were like lined up for the uh the freeway. But there were so many people that we couldn't even get to them. It was oh my god, it's madness, bedlam. <laughs> and who got one of one of the guy? I can't remember who got chased by. It wasn't Flanders. Oh, by the yeah, dude. It was uh, it was Kenneth Gajda, and oh, he yeah. had a reverse facing camera. And like once we jumped this, like twenty uh, special forces like individuals came out of the Ritz Carlton. Like they they hired some like real security people. You know, and they started coming after us in force, but there were so many people that like, it was hard for them to get to us. And at the end, this one guy like gets to where Kenneth is and Kenneth is just a champion, like in, in shape, fit as shit. And he starts running away from this guy. And like the camera footage is hilarious because you see the guy in the background, like reaching out for him, you know, as though like his (laughs) outstretched arm could potentially get him. And then he just collapses and just gives up. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's so, down okay, on his uh, like hands on his knees breathing hard yeah, him. that was such yeah, a breathing. cool jump God. <laughs> all right so uh that was my favorite jump from back in the day because man dude i saw you do the most incredible aerial off of this building reflective window it was sick but uh more on more on aerials later let's get back into the game um we're now at the bridge and i kind of want to know what is the most ridiculous shit that you've seen at the bridge. A lot of people ask this question, <laughs> but you've been there year in year out. Like give us a story oh, on the most ridiculous shit. People come up with come up with all kinds of what they would think are brilliant ideas cuz I think the nature of people in the sport is to kind of like push and push and push until they reach the edge. 
and then they you know something bad eventually happens and so i've seen a lot of stuff bad stuff happen i've seen like you know the totem pole water fail thing that uh <laughs> i'm not gonna name any names because that's just not right but um you know like i remember the one time the guys got up on uh, each other's shoulders and and uh there was a camera involved and i feel like there was a little bit of showing off going on and uh i was at the bottom and i could see kind of what was going to happen um as far as like if you balance a broom on your fingertip and you move your hand to one side real quick the broom kind of falls and i was like okay so this guy's standing on the guy's shoulders they're on a board up there and i was like as soon as the bottom guy jumps out or even leans out i felt like the top guy was going to fall back and that's exactly what happened and so the top guy had the bottom guy's pilot chute and he was going to, they were both going to free fall it. So probably the mistake number one. Oh, man. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so he falls, the top guy falls back, lands on his back on the board. Uh, bottom guy Ooh. is falling. So that means the pins get popped for the bottom guy. You know, everything's starting to come out. I think he ended, ended up letting go of the pilot chute. But anyways, the bottom canopy opened, um, I think first. And then the top guy throws his pilot chute, you know, cause he falls off, ends up in the canopy of the bottom guy and they spiral into the, to the beach about, well, with maybe like half a canopy between the both of them. And I run down there and, um, they're both unconscious. One of them had a helmet. One didn't actually one of the, the one with the helmet remained conscious, but he was like kind of shook up, worried about, cause he couldn't feel everything. And, um, so I just sat down there with him, put his head in my lap and like talked to him for a while. Then eventually, you know, there were some calls made to get the boats and helicopters down there. And then the other guy wakes up and he's like, Oh, what happened? Why me? And like, you know, freaking out anyways, it was, uh, it was pretty brutal. Cause they both ended up getting really hurt. You know, <clears throat> like they broke their backs, had a lot of trouble getting, getting into it. I mean, getting back into it, but they definitely both made some recoveries and, did really good jobs, but that was one of the craziest things. And then I've seen lots of, you know, a lot of it has to do with waterfalls. <laughs> There's so many waterfalls that people do. And like those things don't go right all the time. Um, and people really want to do them and they really want to do the ones where they like f have people, you know, multiple people free falling in there. Yeah. A little advice to people. If you want to do it, maybe do it the way where the top person gets PCA'd. Or just don't do them at all. Like I don't do them because <laughs> you got to be able to trust the, you got to be able to trust the person next to you to do exactly um, to what do they, it. Ex yep. Yeah. Oh my god. Because you know how I mean. Sometimes people get in a rush and they hesitate or yep. something. There's no room for that stuff. So, anyways, it's not that high of an object. So, dude. But what else, yeah. man? <laughs> okay. How about uh, uh, how about flaming parachutes? Oh no. I mean, I thought you were going to say Man, that was the most ridiculous guy. thing that you've ever seen. <laughs> well, I'm glad you reminded me of it. Because like, I, you know, I was telling you before, I got to like, there's so much in there in my head that I can't really like see them all. But yeah, that that is pretty ridiculous. Um, so uh, that was Jim uh, Hickey doing a rollover, yeah, cutaway, Jim flaming parachute so, jump. 73 years old. He was a badass, right? I loved him. He I was loved so him cool. Too, yeah. I, he actually came came and did a little bit of training with me because he was like so hardcore. Didn't he live down in LA? Yeah, he was uh, he was Elsinore jumper. I remember to get ready. He wanted to hike up the side all the time. He 
he wanted to come do some training with me. So he's like, I've been walking around Los Angeles with like a 40 pound backpack or something like that. So I could get ready for the hike. It's like, dang, you're hardcore. But yeah, he was 73, but had the ideas of a kind of like a teenager, you know? So he wanted to do a, a rollover and light his canopy on fire and then cut away. And I, I swear if he would ask me that, I've been like, yo, Jim, probably not a good idea. Maybe, you know, maybe hold off on that one. Cause there's not much room, but so he, um, I think they soaked his canopy in kerosene and then there's something to do with a, like a burning tennis ball that they were, you know, cause the canopy's hanging down below him f- for a rollover. And then I'm not going to name names, but someone throws a tennis ball into the, a burning tennis ball into the canopy and, uh, it lights on fire and he does the jump. But I feel like his intention was for it to actually have some drag, you know, like, um, like to actually inflate, but you know, once the canopy is on fire, it's got all these holes in it and it's not really going to fly or inflate anymore. And so he's just dragging this ball of fire behind him. And, um, and I, I don't know if he never cut away or if it just wouldn't cut away because maybe it didn't have enough like drag to actually, you know, tension to, to cut away, but he ended up impacting the water. And I think Kathy, the lady that drove the boat ended up pulling him out of there it was a mess yeah like it was you know i mean uh not a good not a good thing not a good thing for here and not a good thing for jim hickey but i mean one hell of a way to go out that might be an entire episode that we're gonna have to do on that one and just uh because it's it is literally the most ridiculous thing that i've ever seen or not seen but heard of at the bridge um I'm amazed he wanted to do that. I'm, I know? am too. Yeah. I can see someone that's like 20 or something, but. But dude, that, yeah. that, that guy was all smiles. Yeah. <laughs> he was. He was He was really good, dude. I, yeah. I miss him. Moving on. Uh, dude, let's get into some mentality. We've just talked about a couple of things okay. that are like, obviously, like the mentality wasn't there. And uh, transitioning into like your professional um, world, I want to know what do you look for in somebody that's approaching base jumping to feel comfortable that they're mentally and physically prepared for being in this dangerous environment? I, well, I'll start out with the easy stuff. I always, I mean, I've always been the guy that requires people to have skydives and at least 200 for me. I remember when I started, it was 500 skydives, but that's kind of been, I, it's, I guess kind of been proven that people can get there in 200, but that's always a minimum, you know, but so obviously it's real important to have canopy experience because in base jumping, we're landing in small landing areas. We have minimal time. You just have to react and you have to know a parachute to make it do something. You can't just be, you know, you can't just go off of someone telling you, okay, grab those things up there and then like yank them off of there. And then you know, you pull on this one to go right and this one to go left and then pull on both of them to land, (laughs) you know, like you can't just do that things. And I've seen that a lot, but it can go wrong. So anyways, that's a major thing. Um, I also look for, you know, I mean, it's not just physical ability. It's like mental abilities, the ability to stay calm in situations, you know, like if someone's had a cutaway before, you know, they've kind of had that sense of urgency to, make a lot happen under pressure you know that's kind of a, a good thing they don't have to have had a cutaway but i think the mentality though you know like i, I think a well a person needs to be able to yeah basically stay calm 
Um, they need to be able to like go into action, even if it's a panic situation and take care of what needs to be taken care of. And not a lot of people are like that, you know, some people kind of freeze up and, uh, yeah, you know, um, can't quite do it. I think the scariest people to get into it are the ones that come to me and they're like, dude, yo, I'm an adrenaline junkie. I don't have the skydives yet, but you know, I really want to get into this. My friends say I have canopy skills and you know i just love to live life on the edge and i think they're expecting me to be like sick i'm just like you <laughs> i can come on brother let's do this but you know th- those are the ones that scare me because you know they're just they're like the guys that uh they're trying to be like the stereo stereotypical adrenaline junkie which like none of us guys that have been around a long time are like that you know um like there's a lot of precision involved and so those are the guys that I kind of like steer away from. Um, I want people that, you know, have uh, done the jumps and take it very seriously and understand, you know, not only the positive side of things, but the, you know, what can happen as far as negative outcomes. Besides taking it really seriously, is there any attributes or previous activities that they may be doing that you've seen a pattern of being really good students or, or really good practitioners? Um, I think a lot of military guys, well, some of them do pretty well, I think, cause they know how to take things seriously. I think people that have, yeah, just been in difficult situations before seem to be pretty good, good with it. You know, like, um, I feel like it, it, it also, it gets a little bit scary and I don't know, maybe we'll get more into this later, but when, uh, you can tell who comes and they're just interested in social media and you know, they want to like post things to make themselves look cool. I like the people that are in it for themselves and, and humble and able to do it without any, you know, without having to tell the world and get attention from, from the rest of the world. So what I'm hearing is that you've got people that take it seriously, people who are not externally motivated, and then people who can handle themselves under high pressure situations. Yeah. Yeah. Any other attributes that you may think of that, that we're like, damn, you know, I'm having this conversation with this new student. He's done this, this, and this. And the way he says that, I have a good feeling that he's going to do well. Is there anything else that, that, that strikes that box? Oh, I think one of the, the strong attributes for someone getting into base jumping is someone that can learn from other people's mistakes. Because in a sport like this, it's a continuous group learning, basically and getting higher and higher precision as a group. And if people come in and they're disconnected from the group and they don't learn from the past, then they're basically reinventing the wheel and making the same mistakes over and over again, where those can be completely avoided. And it doesn't just go for like act, making actual mistakes physically in a base jump, but also, you know, making mistakes as far as like the mentality that they have towards towards jumping because it's such a sensitive sport in that sense that like you know you got to make some serious decisions and you have to be pretty damn conservative all the time otherwise your chances just are not looking so good for longevity in the sport nice yeah the follow-up is how do you reconcile teaching people a skill set that is likely or probable to kill them so that's awesome i've never been asked that question but i've thought about it a lot I, 
it's it is very serious to me um i don't take it lightly part of it is i know how important jumping was to me and i know how i feel about it like it for me it's something that i basically i i feel like i couldn't live without it at least especially in the beginning i mean like it was is it was an is an expression of my of me you know it's like almost like an artistic expression and i needed to do it i needed to learn somehow otherwise i would have probably gone and done something stupid and tried to figure it out myself so i feel like with my experience i'm the guy or one of them that can you know safely i don't know if that's even the right word but hand down my experience to other people to make them do it more safely so that you know the sport can continue to become like higher level precision i have lost people that i've taught in the past like after they've you know they finish the class and go on and like a couple years later or something they end up doing a jump and so i have lost students and um, it does make me sad you know it's not just something that i don't think about or anything but i know that people have like dreams in their life to do certain things and I just try to line them up and make sure their dreams are actually something that's not too much of a gamble, but all, you know, base jumping is always a gamble. So I want to help people fulfill their, their dreams and desires as far as base jumping goes, but I also want to help them grow because I feel like it's something, a sport that can help people grow and be more fulfilled as an actual being. You know, like, I think it goes much deeper than just doing an activity. I think it can teach you a lot about life and spirituality, even like on a way deep, deep level, just because of how, you know, traumatic some of the experiences are that you go through. You know, we've all lost so many friends yeah. and, um, that kind of thing pushes you to think about, um, life and, and what's after life, what this whole life is all about. And eventually I feel like you end up finding out that. It's not just about doing something on this physical plane, but, you know, it's becoming a better and better soul and realizing yourself as a, as a soul. So I feel like it's just a good way to push a person, you know, um, into something bigger. And that's kind of how I see it as, you know. Well, that's a good answer. Yeah. It's basically if, let me know if I'm getting this right, you reconcile the, skill set that you're passing on to them and the potential of their their death by saying that like there are worthwhile and worthy things to gain out of the sport that are are worth risking one's life for so yeah like yes people are going to die but like there's so much to be gained from that risk that it's worth it and simultaneously exactly. what i'm hearing you say is that like you feel that you are a, a qualified person in our community such that like, if you are not there, then there would be a gap in the next generation's ability to approach the sport without a, a Chuma out there. There are a lot of people that would not have the opportunity or not have the resources in order to approach the sport in this uh, like righteous way. You know, you can go different ways with it. Some people can be completely blind to the sport like spiritual lessons that can come with it. I'm talking about like come with like years and years of experience, like making it your life, or you can just ignore all that and remain where you are, you know, 
I think there's has to be like kind of an intention to grow with it. You know, you kind of have to grow like there's, there's a dark path to go down and there's like a, a light path to go down and it's kind of whatever you choose. I love it, man. That's, that's like, that brings me back to the point break days. You know, <laughs> some people just come to get radical. They'll never get the spiritual side. <laughs> nice. and that's true. Do that you part. see those people on the, <laughs> on the break all the time? Like they're just, they're just out there trying to rip it in the waves. They like, they're not really uh, gaining the same thing that people like that feel the flow do. We're here to learn from the journey and enjoy the journey. And, uh, yeah, if you get too wrapped up in other little things and you completely miss out on all the lessons that are teaching you things, you know, that are, that's, that's kind of like the main thing. It's like the school mm-hmm. of life, you know. We want to ask you a lot more about the mindset and the deeper aspects of base, but um, let's, uh, let's put a bookmark on that and, and go back to your professional stuff that we want to chat about first. Yeah. Sweet. So, okay. Yeah. Let's get into the unregulated marketplace in which you operate. Um, we're Uh-oh. curious what it's like to be operating in a place where there are no standards and anyone can just like run out to the bridge, teach somebody how to jump, huck a tandem off the thing. Like, give us what it's like to work in an industry like that. Okay. So, it's pretty tough. I mean, it's, uh, I battle with it, you know, like, I love how base jumping is unregulated. I've always loved that. But when business starts to get involved with it, intentions change because I think a lot of people start to just see the dollar signs and they kind of put any interest in the future and positivity of the sport. I think they put that aside and and uh, be, begin getting a one-tracked mind. Um it's been tough. I've struggled like deeply with it for about a, since last year. I mean, it's always been kind of a thing, but you know, things are consistently, or I'm sorry, constantly getting a little bit more wild all the time out here, um, at the bridge. And it's, uh, you know, before like, you know, so I've been doing the tandems for 13 years now. Um, I think I was the only person to do it for nearly a decade as far as like in a commercial sense. And, um, and it was always just, you know, there was a lot of respect, um, for me doing it here at the bridge. Um, people are like, oh yeah, you know, he's got thousands of base jumps, um, tons of tandem skydive experience, you know, been in the sport, um, you know, he's the guy for the job, but then people saw that I was like doing all right financially with it. And then kind of just said, Oh, cool. I'm going to go do that too. And, um, it, I mean, I gotta let you know that that hurt me a lot. Um, in the beginning, um, it was like kind of a slap in the face. Like, you know, I'm thinking, Oh, you're just going to come in and do the same thing I do. Um, without paying any dues. (laughs) Yeah, no dues. And that's, you know, that's the main word is like, I feel like I paid my dues. I I worked my, I worked my ass off, you know? And, um, I mean, that's just me saying that, but I have. No, dude, I'll I'll say it. I I said it right there. Like, I, I feel the same way. Like I remember when you started doing those tandems in the bridge and it was, uh, it was down to the manufacturer. They're like, well, 
like we've never made stuff like this, but we'll make it for you. You know, if you yeah. like are the sole operator of this thing, right? And the only reason that you get a company like that to make that kind of you know put that kind of risk out is if you put did pay your dues. Um, and so, man, I'll echo that all day long. I sent Thank my you. friends and family to you, dude. Yeah, I appreciate <laughs> that. Um, but yeah, now it's you know we got people coming in, and now the crazy thing is is people that are not even in the community of base jumping or skydiving getting into that. Um, it's 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 pretty wild. Like you know, someone imagine someone sees, oh, I, this can be a lucrative thing for me. I'm not a base jumper, but you know. I'm going to go through these moves and create a tandem base business. And they're, so they're completely cut off from the world of base jumping. Their only way to get into base, the world is to start base jumping, even if it's without any skydives. Um, and, uh, that way they can, uh, kind of do their thing. And anyways, it's just, you know, if someone comes along like that, then they, they don't understand the history of, tandem base all the work and paid dues that have you know i guess been set forth and uh and they just you know see it as them starting a business so can you give us a little rundown of the history of tandem base yeah when we started it it was abby michelle mark kistner and myself and we kind of just uh came up with an idea we're sitting around they were like we should do we should death camp people tourists off the bridge and i was like whoa I don't think that's a good idea. I was like, I think eventually someone's going to get killed. And, uh, and then it was like, we simultaneously said, what about tandem base? And, um, and all of a sudden it was like, whoa, is holy shit. You know? Um, I don't know why we didn't think of it before is the kind of the thing. And then we met a lot of resistance at first because, you know, it's, it was nobody had really like thought of doing it as a, as a, consistent thing it had been done in the past as stunts um but uh like uh like at bridge day i think in 1984 um and there's an aussie guy too that wrote to me and he may have been even before um ted strong yeah, yeah. um and uh Anyways, but as a commercial thing, yeah, we did that. So we we got uh we tried a bunch of different gear. First, tried some tandem skydive canopies, and they all just were not for the job. It was like hard landings, weird openings, and just wasn't good. And then uh, and then we had we tried out a seven cell canopy that was just you know he the flare stroke had to be way too long um, for like the average person's arm length, and. Uh, Anyways, then we uh, went on and had a tear make us uh, the the tandem troll, and so we kind of like worked together on that and um, and went from there. And I took a bunch of people. I was the guy that did the tandems. They kind of handled the business side of things, and um, they were kind of uh, well. So, anyways, we tried. We I started taking them friends and did tons of those, and eventually we just yeah started taking um, people like normal clientele and it kind of grew from there and I've done about a thousand of them now, um, all over the world, did them, did, done them off of all different objects have taken, there's three people in the world that have their tandem based numbers, um, jumped off of all the objects, um, with me. Maybe there's more with other people now, but 
then I trained, uh, like, you know, uh, for me, it was like anybody else that did it, that did tandem base, where it's going to be like one of the best base jumpers in the world. And someone that had lots of, of tandem skydive experience, like at least a couple thousand, you know, um, not just someone that, you know, would jump into it. So I, I thought it would always be reserved for like the best base jumpers in the world. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you clearly don't have that going on now. Um, not to be mean yeah. or anything, but it's like a serious thing, you know, because it looks easy in all the videos, but I mean, things can go wrong and eventually they will, if you do them long enough, you know, and it's like, you can do whatever you want when you're by yourself flips, whatever, you know, take extra chances. Cause that's your life. But when you have someone else's life in your hands, it's way different. And it's, it's not just about money, right? Like you got to make decisions. You got to make like wise, uh, whether, you know, condition calls, um, and you know, it's, it's like, you got to be safe with their life because they're just there for a ride. You know, they're not there to go like pushing limits. And if they are, if they're like the crazy guy, that's like, I'm an adrenaline junkie, you know, you still have to be careful with them. It doesn't mean you can just go try, you know, absurd things and put their life on the line. Um, cause if something does happen, then it all kind of goes downhill. I mean, it just makes, makes all the history of it kind of look bad and then new decisions get made and. I don't know. It yeah. kind of sucks. So, but it is its own beast. Yeah. It seems like the culture is changing from like the bottom up. Like if you look at skydive tandems and how many fatalities we've seen in the last decade and how many injuries we've seen and how many unqualified instructors are, are out there doing stuff. Uh, it's, it's easy to see how that's going to eventually like bleed into base jumping and, and this thing, you know, like, it, it doesn't seem that people care very much and like ruthless capitalism is, is getting the better of, of that sport of like skydiving certainly and starting to infiltrate into base jumping. And yeah. on that note, I've got like kind of a, a follow-up question to this. You know, I, I know that like our industry is self-regulated. We have no other thing, like no body to tell people who is qualified and who isn't. And that leaves people getting into it at a supreme disadvantage because like they honestly don't know the difference between uh, a Sean Chuma and somebody that like has 10 skydives. Like, honestly, they don't know. So uh, help us out a little bit. You know, what should people be looking for in not only a tandem uh, operation when it comes to base jumping, but what should people be looking for when it comes to selecting an instructor to learn how to base jump? I think one of the most important things is experience of the instructor. They should be looking for someone that's really been around um, through lots of different experiences. Because let's face it, there's you know there's the really happy side of things as far as like experiences you can have in base jumping, and then there's like the like thing on the opposite end, which is just completely morbid, horrific outcomes. Um, I think a person needs to have been through all of that to understand in order to make wise decisions. So looking for a person that's really experienced, I would say like, you know, there's, you know, thousands of jumps, you know, um, all over the place, um, I think is, is really important. Also someone that's just a good teacher, someone that can convey the message and, you know, remember that they are giving this person kind of like a loaded weapon. Um, so it needs to be, you know, it's not just like a base jump course. Isn't just 
someone taking you out there and saying, here, hold on to this and jump off here and land there. Have fun. Oh, you're a base jumper now. It's definitely not that. It's kind of like giving someone the proper mentality to to move forward in a so that they can stay on that like more positive side of the spectrum of experience. Um, so, yeah, I, I think that's kind of I think people miss out on that a lot because they're just out there jumping and doing trying to learn new tricks and all this stuff. But then they're you know when they go on their own, they're like they they've learned oh. I can jump in heavy winds because we had to do that for my course. Uh, I can try, you know, all these new tricks because I saw these other people do them. You know, um, I think it takes understanding and hearing stories about negative outcomes. And then a lot, there's a lot of technical information to know as well, you know. And then also, you know, um, I, I try to convey the message that the learning isn't just over after the course is done. It's like a lifelong thing and they need to be able to find information when they need it. And it's not like we have, you know, all the information that anybody could possibly ever need to know about base jumping online. So I always tell people that, uh, you know, I like part of my job is to be here for you as a living resource. If you have questions and I'm like, I'm, uh, like that's one of my purposes to be here is, is for being here is to, to help each of each of you, um, kind of move on in a, in a safe direction. Um, so that there's not, you know, get, cause there's no room for guesswork and all that, you know, but on that note, are you always teaching? I know that like a lot of people have hats, you know, they end up being, um, an instructor one day and then, you know, wild man the next day. Um, what's, uh, what's your flow? Are you always teaching or are you sometimes not? I feel like I'm pretty much always in that mode uh, of teaching because it's just, it's a, I mean, in my life, it's a pretty serious thing. I mean, I've got people calling all the time and sending messages and like, I just, I always want to be available for them as best I can. I mean, I, I can't be available all the time. It's way too stressful, but, um, I feel like I have a huge responsibility to take care of my people, like my family of, of jumpers that I'm like raising, you know, because I'm trying to raise the sport up from the inside um, from the people, you know, like the group of people that I teach, I'm hoping that with their attitude, they can kind of uplift the whole sport, um, you know, from the inside. But yeah, I feel like I, I kind of leave that hat on all the time. I mean, I, I relax and I go have fun and everything, but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm just like, a am I'm, I'm here as a teacher. I'm, I was, I think I was born that way with that job. Speaking of hats in base jumping, we're often operating in micro disciplines, right? Like my personal micro discipline is Alpine wingsuit base. And as soon as I move outside of those barriers, I start to become a beginner again. And, you know, let me just preface this question with the fact that you have 6,000 jumps from all sorts of different objects all over the world. Tell us what it feels like when you start moving away from your expertise. Are we talking about within the sport of base jumping? Sure. When you have a a single parachute system on your back. Okay. Um, First of all, I got to correct you. My 
my jumps, um, I got 7,680. Um, <laughs> <laughs> is, is that the most, like, are you more than miles? Uh, my bad. Got the most at this point. Uh, as far as I know, um, yeah, that's it. So, <laughs> I just God, never God stopped really, except for a few injuries. But, but yeah, I um, I do. I have friends that are way better than me at wingsuiting. I really try to stay connected. I set my ego aside, um, and I'm happy to have friends and and a network of people that are really good at like you know specialists in their own little specialty within base jumping and i'm happy to reach out to them and get information from them in anything if anyone's like you know if i feel like someone has something of value i'm i'm happy to um set my ego aside for that because that's the only way you really learn you know like if you think you're the top shit and nothing's nobody's better than you then you just you kind of stop yourself. I feel like I've branched out, you know, since I've started jumping where in the beginning, all I ever thought about was base jumping, right? Like you guys were probably the same way. Um, to the point where like, if I didn't jump, I was, I would become like, (laughs) it's kind of upset. And like, I felt like I wasn't myself, but I've grown into a much different person and, and like expanded my life to lots of different things. And, that's a really good feeling and it's much more fulfilling to be like that, um, to have like lots of different interests and, and specialties. Um, and it's, yeah, it's just a way better life. So let me, let me ask you a little bit more precisely because you said, I think the key was that you put your ego aside. So what does that mean? That, that means that you relinquish the idea that you're the expert or, I know this sounds a little bit silly and pedantic, but it, you know we throw the ego thing around a lot, and I, I'm I'd like you to just dive in a little bit deeper on on what exactly putting the ego aside means to you. It probably looks like maybe I'm like a master of all things within base, but I know that I'm I'm not, and I'm not afraid to admit that. Like I've got my own specialties, and I guess what I mean is that I'm. Uh, I'm okay with that. And I'm, and I'm okay to like, um, consult people of, you know, like a higher level of specialty in, in certain areas, you know, like I'm always open to learn. Is that kind of explain or, I mean, yes, absolutely. Always open to learn. When you jump with people that have like a high level of experience, no matter what discipline within base jumping, they seem to always ask the best questions. You know, like if you have somebody that comes on a load, you know, maybe at an intermediate site for me in my, in, in my situation, you get someone that's like still working up what they think is a capable person acts and they're sort of blinded by their own internal dialogue. And maybe they ask a question or two and they, they just know that they've got this right. But then when you jump with someone that's been around the block a while, they've got all the questions they're asking all of the questions. And is that something you would agree with? Yeah. Both of you? I feel like as you, as you do the sport more and more, you know how, people say, are you even scared anymore? You've got so many base jumps. And it's like, I, yes, 
I <laughs> definitely am. It's because I've seen so much happen, like so many negative outcomes, positive outcomes, just so much. So I know that the possibilities uh, are pretty limitless. Uh, and because I know that, um, I think it brings up more and more questions because it's like in your field of of thought or or vision or however you want to put it. Um, I think I can see like infinite outcomes. I think that's a strength because then you from there you can formulate questions that are beneficial to, you know, making future decisions. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with you, uh, Sean. It's like when I meet somebody on an exit point that knows more than me and they're, they've been a student of mine, like I, I see that yeah. as like, like an awesome return on investment, you know, cause it's like, I, I spent my time in life to bring this person along and, and I could have spent that time on personal progression, but I didn't. And now like I get to jump ahead, you know, and benefit from their experience having not like had the time to like develop it myself. Yeah. It's kind of what you always wanted in teaching them, right? Like you, you wanted them to have your information and it's yeah, like, right? it's cause we're developing oh, as a, as like, we're not just like, we can think on individual beings that like within our base jump careers and everything. But, you know, we also think on a level of like that, you know, like, uh, just all of us together, like as, as, a, I can't think of the word, but like, as like a hive mind. Yeah. You know, like we can, it's, it's cool to work like that. And, you know, the more information we have within each of us, the better we perform um, individually as well, because we have all that information, you know, and, and we're just connected. So I think that's like a, yeah. High tide raises all boats. Yeah. Huh. Dude, I, uh, I, I gotta say, like, I'm glad that you brought that up, uh, that that's the goal. You know, I think there are two types of instructors in anything and there are ones that want to maintain their status as the best. And there are ones that teach every student uh, so that that student has the opportunity to be better than them. Um, and so, like, I, I'm glad that you brought that up. I, I fucking love that perspective. Uh, I hope that every instructor is like you in that way that wants to see their students eventually become better than them because they had the advantage of being taught by you. You know, like that is a that's a great thing to add. Like if, if I were able to be taught by somebody, um, that legitimately believes and thinks that I can be uh, better than them, then we're truly progressing the sport. And if not, then we're really on a negative cycle. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot that you get to skip as a student. If your teacher can place you that much farther ahead, you know, like if, if a begin if it's a beginner teaching a beginner, well, they're going to, the, be the beginner is going to start from the beginning, but it's kind of like, you know, if, if I can kind of sort of in a way upload all this information and, and a certain mentality to, to move forward, then they're going to, um, skip all these unnecessary, possibly hardships. And they're just going to move ahead longer. It's kind of like having a guru, you know, I mean, the whole point of a, a, a real live guru is to, help a person move along in their spiritual journey and, uh, help them with their connection to the divine, you know, like rather than a person seeking life after life, of like trying to get there, um, on their own, it's going to take a lot longer than actually having the advice of, you know, like a, a realized being. 
I think probably one of the challenges that you have with the desire of uploading so much information to your students is knowing when they've become overloaded with information. And and part of teaching base jumping is the limitations, right? Like there's a limitation of the amount of time. There's limitations for weather. If you had no limitations, how long would you take it? When would you know that your Padawan is ready to, to become a Jedi? <laughs> um, I think it would just be a feeling. Um, because it, you know, it's it's a lifelong journey, and I think there would just be a moment of of oh, you've you've made it, you know. Um, I guess it would be different for each person, but yeah, I guess uh, I don't know. That's a good question. Have you had that feeling with some of your students? Oh yeah, yeah, I've had. Uh, I mean, it's kind of like where, you know, in the beginning, um, and as their student, you really have to you really want, look out for them and have their own interest um like you know their best interest on, on your mind um and then there becomes a point where you don't have to worry about them anymore making the right decisions um because you can see that they're you know they've been through any kind of um serious lessons you know because what i see mostly is that in the beginning people their their idea of bases oh it's so much fun there's so many so many good experiences of it or, or within it and then eventually they they learn from like losing a friend or maybe they hurt themselves and or almost kill themselves that's like a super hard hit that makes them kind of mature in the sport and as far as mentality wise like i think a person eventually has to be exposed to something like that um maybe multiple times in order to change their state of mind and attitude towards base to something that is, uh, or change it into like a more, uh, you know, whole attitude towards all possible outcomes, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Before we move on to aerials, uh, just to kind of round out some professionalism, uh, you mentioned respect earlier and, uh, I'm curious if you have some people that you respect in the sport, not only as instructors, but also as students. Uh, and uh, maybe uh, we can share a couple of uh, names and a couple of uh, attributes that have stuck out to you in what has become a pretty long career of instruction. So I'm going to start with the students. One guy that I really respect that was one of my early students is Christian Newman. I don't think he jumps anymore because he was good friends with Ian Flanders. And uh, I think that hit him pretty hard. But I always saw him as a really good student because he was a smart guy. I mean, he went hard for sure. He did like 700 jumps in a yeah. pretty short amount of time. Um, but he was real smart about it. And he just he didn't seem like one of those guys that had to do like extremely dumb things to make himself feel good in the sport. But then he had like, you know, a one of those hard experiences that I was talking about and decided, you know, cause it made him think, is this something that I really want to do? Um, you know, is it worth risking my life over? And I think he just got what he wanted out of it at the time. Maybe he'll come back and do a few, or maybe he won't. I don't care either way. I'm happy when they learn enough to realize when they've had enough. Like, I think it's like a, a moment where, you know, it's like, congratulations, you've made it. And, you made an excellent decision, you know, it's like, uh, 
<laughs> I think it's always a good thing. So anyways, yeah, he was one of the ones that I really always remember. Um, did a really good job with the whole mentality of it. As far as other people I, I look up to, I was pretty inspired by Dwayne Weston. I didn't know him, okay. but I saw some of the stuff he did and I was like, whoa, that's awesome. You know, so many flips. Cause I'm like a flip guy myself. I like that stuff. And I was, I thought it was, uh, he, yeah, he was just kind of like a big inspiration, but I don't know anything really about his personality, just stories I've heard. And I've heard quite a few, um, just because I kind of gravitated towards that guy, obviously like Dukes and miles. I think they're super cool guys too. Um, actually getting a lot closer to Dukes lately, which is, is fun. Um, and, uh, yeah. Okay. Um, who else? Well, if they come to you, uh, let us know, like, as we cruise through, I was just kind of curious if you had some names on the top of your list of people that you respected. Um, and, uh, moving on, like, I believe that you are one of the most respected oh, people. I do. Yeah. Go ahead. I do. Uh, you know, uh, so I, I got a chance to meet Phil Mayfield. Mm -hmm. He's base number two. Um, he was looking at, he's kind of like trolling around on Facebook and, um, he was, uh, he was asking people cause he hadn't jumped in a while. And I think he's, you know, those old timers, they usually don't have that many jumps, but they're like looked up to because they were kind of pioneers in the sport. And he was kind of trolling around trying to get information cause he was going to come to twin falls and he was asking, can I just use my saber too or something like that? On the, <laughs> I remember on the that. And, I remember that. I was, like, I was like, yeah. I was like, oh no, I better no. like jump in and like <laughs> put this to a stop before it gets nasty. And, um, and so I, I hit him up and I was like, Hey man, so I've got like gears different now. Don't, you're not going to use your saber. Um, you're going to come out here and I'm going to give you, you know, I'm gonna let you use one of my, um, my setups. I had like a Hey Duke and a crux. And I was like, you know, this stuff's way better. You're going to open higher and with more inflation, it's going to be much more controllable and it'll be way better. I was like, I'll give you a little refresher and everything. And he's like 69 or something like that. Hopefully I didn't overdo it. Um, but, uh, yeah, he was a super cool dude, man. Just to hear the stories about the old times, you know, there was so much mystery and it was so much more, there was so much more unknown. Um, and that's kind of how they did it because they had to find all that stuff out. And that's, what's changed now is that there's way less unknown, which can help us push farther. Um, but anyways, he was an amazing dude and I couldn't believe how good a shape he was. And he didn't look like he was. 69 or however old old he was he looked like maybe 20 years younger and i was like dang i hope i'm like that that's and i epic. think you just have to keep having fun yeah but <laughs> i look up to that guy wow okay so moving on to uh people uh looking up to you which um i don't think it should come as a surprise i mean i i've heard i've heard a lot of negative things about a lot of people in the sport the only negative thing that i've ever heard about you is that uh, people come to your course and they're like, well, he was just a lot more chill than I had expected. Because <laughs> like they, they see like the flips and the craziness that you get into and they're like, oh, this guy's going to be wild. Like, and then you get there and you're like, you know, very calm and collected. And they're like, well, wow, it threw me for a loop. <laughs> so uh, the question coming is, um, how do you believe the community sees you? 
You know, that's hard for me because I, I'm me and I'm, you know, that's all I really have. It's hard for me to put myself in the shoes of the community. I feel like for the most part, um, people enjoy my presence and, and I hope they do. I mean, my, my only intention in this, in this life is just to be a good person and, and give what I have to make everybody, you know, the best they can be. Um, but I'm definitely not perfect. Um, I'm happy to say that, well, I'm not happy to say that my intention and goal is to be like a lot better of a person, you know, but I know I'm not, I mean, everybody has their struggles and, and I do too. Um, but yeah, I, I, um, I do want to be as much as I can to this community. I mean, I, I want it to be like, I want our sport to grow and it's going to, it's going to grow into like whatever it might be. I can't even imagine what it would be like when, you know, we're gone. Uh, yeah. Well, speaking <laughs> of, uh, yeah, speaking of the, how the community sees you, I, I know that they, we definitely see you as an aerialist and an excellent one, if not like one of the, the foremost ones. And I know Laurent's got some questions on, aerials so that you can, uh, kind of keep our uh, community progressing. Cool. Yeah. I mean, that's what I was going to say of many things. One of them is sick aerialist. And thank you uh, so much. Thank you. Like <laughs> someone like me who isn't an aerialist and, um, you know, maybe I want to put a little bit more stink on my, my jumps, you know, when I go to slider down, <laughs> um, what would you recommend? I think the first and most important thing is to develop a sense of spatial awareness. And the best ways you can do that is, is trampoline or diving. I think trampoline, you can get a lot more repetition, but you can also hurt yourself doing these things too. Right. So like if someone just goes out and starts jumping on trampolines, they could, they could break their neck or hurt their back. I mean, you got to like train into these things as well. So, you know, it's, it's a long-term thing, but going out and getting like training from a, a trampoline specialist, you know, someone that actually does it a lot and knows how to teach you how to do certain things. Of course, you can explain to them that you're going to be taking it to base jumping. But the main thing is just learning lots of different tricks. And by doing that, you're gaining um, your awareness in the air. Because if you think about it, you know, your whole life, if you've never done any kind of acrobatics, you're just walking around on two feet. You always, your eyes are like a, you're very dependent on your eyes for your balance and, and your orient, spatial orientation. And if you go start turning your world upside down on a trampoline, then you're going to learn, um, you're going to slowly start to learn the spatial awareness. You learn a lot more as a child because you're just more plastic, um, as far as your, your, your mind. Um, but yeah, it's very easy for a normal person that hasn't done any acrobatics to get disoriented in the air and on a base jump, you know, you've got even less visual references because everything is so far away versus on a trampoline, your visual, uh, like references the trampoline. Um, and it's right there. So it makes it easier to know where you are on a base jump. It's much easier to get completely lost out there. And obviously the outcome could be pretty bad there since we have to be oriented a particular way in order to, um, uh, deploy the, the, the canopy. Um, but yeah, Lots of gymnastics. I would, I'm not saying just go jump on a trampoline one time and then go send it. You know, maybe if you're going to jump out of a balloon or something, yeah, you can just go for it. But, um, depending on the height, but 
you know, it, it takes a lot of training. I was a gymnast for, um, I think competitive gymnastics for 10 years. And then I went to college for pole vault where we did gymnastics training for pole vault. So it's been kind of like a life of, of acrobatics and like, I just know where I am. So that's the difference between me and someone that doesn't do that. You know, I, like I have this different awareness when I'm rotating in space where I can actually control my body. And one of the coolest things I like to explain this, that like on the, if I'm rotating in one direction, like a, a backward rotation, say I'm doing a bunch of backflips, I can add in a full twist on one, on a rotation just by kind of turning my head or almost by thought alone, which is pretty crazy. And that's kind of partially why my school is called interdimensional base, but, um, cause it's just weird physics stuff. You know, if you're rotating on one axis, you can rotate on the opposite axis without any like input into the ground or anything, which blows my mind when I think about it all the time. Um, I figured that out from base jumping because I've had, you know, I've just been flipping. I'm like, I'm doing a full twist right now. And then I just do it and then continue on back flipping. Um, <laughs> it's a very slow learning process. <laughs> it's a slow learning wow. process, I would say, but, um, you know, it's kind of like, I don't know. It's some pretty interdimensional stuff. Um, so anyways, yeah, I would say tons and tons of practice on a trampoline or doing gymnastics or diving. Um, and then you can start training more specifically with pitch timing and stuff like that. Because once you can do it on trampoline or, or a diving board or something, then you'll have to slow it way down on a base jump because now we have a whole different, uh, timing to, uh, to go along with gymnastics, diving, we're landing on our feet or our hands and base jumping. Now we have to add it in there. We have to, our timing is more all about deployment of the pilot chute and the, and the canopy, um, which is much different. So even someone coming from a gymnastics or diving background still has to change their timing and visual cues, um, in order to, you know, do it, um, without any, you know, uh, on the right timing. Is there any common pitfalls you see from people that are learning aerials? Yeah. Some people will have trouble committing or they like, especially the gainer. I mean, that's the first one. I, let me just put these in order real quick. Like the, the basic ones are a gainer, a barrel roll and a front flip. And, uh, they kind of go in, in that order. Um, cause a gainer goes along with the deployment, a, a barrel roll does not. So it's, it's a bit more difficult. Um, but it's still kind of, what do you say by, what do you mean by goes along with? Um, so like go back to the gainer, we're rotating backwards. It ends up, if you pitch once your feet are about uh, a little bit, you know, right around 45 degrees, like so past vertical, then, um, your body keeps rotating in that direction and it naturally just sets you up right. Right. Whereas like if you were just belly to earth doing a, a flat and stable jump, you pitch and it yanks you upright. So it's, it goes, uh, seamlessly yeah, into just kind of like deployment. works. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. But whereas like a barrel roll, you know, like that's kind of, you know, you're twisting, you're on the wrong axis. It can be done. It can be, can be done on heading, but, um, whereas a front flip goes against the, uh, the grain, so to say, you know, like it, it's, you're rotating in the opposite direction. So a lot of people will accidentally over rotate and then, you know, 
get hurt snatched. their back and yeah yeah Ugh. yeah you get snatched right up right <laughs> i've seen plenty of those <laughs> <laughs> um but uh did i answer the full question there uh, kind of, we were back to, you were uh, going through the progression, um, gainer, barrel roll, front flip, um, and uh, explaining why which each one of them was just slightly more difficult than the last. Yeah, so the, uh, yeah, most people start with the gainer because of that, um, and then kind of move on from there. But um, to just go out and do that, oh yeah, the common pitfalls, that's what we were yeah. talking about. So. Um, I would say with a gainer, sometimes people stall out on their back because they try to jump out too far. So that kind of cancels the rotation out so that they end up just kind of falling straight on their back. And then, you know, if they don't get around, then they end up having to pitch and roll away from it or roll away from the pilot chute. Um, other things they can do is rotate too fast and then, you know, which isn't as big of a deal as stalling out on your back because, you know unless you really over rotate and end up giving yourself a reverse, like a step through type of thing. Um, but I, I mean, you know, the main things are to make sure, I, I think it's really safe to have the right object for when you're learning any kind of aerials. The bridge is actually not the best place for it. It's just that it's so accessible that that's where people end up doing it. You know, it's better if you have something where you can actually belly out like even if you went to bridge day, you know, you can do your trick, plan on taking about two seconds for your trick. And then you have like another two or three seconds to fix what you just messed up um, because you can belly out because you have that airspeed at the bridge. If you just jump and everything gets wild, then there's no chance to do that. There's no bellying out and you have to just blindly panic pitch. And that's where the bridle wraps come in, you know, because you can... Um, like on the gainer, if you pitch a bit too early, the bridle kind of floats above and makes this bow shape, um, you know, from, from the pin to the pilot chute and you end up flipping through that. And that's how it kind of gets wrapped around your leg. And since you're continue rotating, you actually have to wait until it stops till the pilot chute stops your rotation because you're hanging from it in a sense. Um, once that stops your rotation and brings your foot back up in the air, then you can get your foot out. But if you, uh, so it eats up a lot of altitude if you do get a bridle wrap and I've had four of those. Do you have any advice on avoiding bridle wrap when you have to pitch in some like fucked up position? Yeah, I would say you like, let's say you were about to, well, I would say usually having your feet and knees together. Sometimes you like, if your legs just kind of sticking out there, um, you're more likely to get it wrapped. Most people are getting them because they pitch too early. So if you, if you did have to pitch too early, you could try to bring the knees to the chest and then bring the feet together. And then if that bridle gets around or touches your foot, you want to immediately get it off because if you're continuing the rotation around, it's just going to get worse until you're towing it down farther. But in, in another, you know, any other situation where let's say you weren't doing a backward rotation and you just slipped off an exit or something, because that's everybody's nightmare. Um, then I would say, you know, like trying to get the, all the limbs kind of like out of the way and then pitching towards the sky, I think probably has a pretty good outcomes for most people. 
I mean, you get, <laughs> yeah, but there's no guarantees, right? Like it just, oh man. No, indeed. But That's I've seen so like... many people panic that it's nice to give like one positive statement there. Like feet and knees together is nice. You know, limbs in pilot shoot up is another like simple thing to try and do. Yeah. And then remembering that your camera, having your camera on, you know, that's, that's like always a additional snag point that has gotten people before. So you always want to think it, you know, is this shot really going to be worth it? Yeah, no doubt. Laurent, you want to <laughs> keep going with the aerial questions? I know you got a couple more. I think that uh, we can wrap it up. I mean, that was very thorough. Um, let's uh let's chat about sustainability oh, yeah. um and longevity in the yeah. sport well what what do you uh have well, in mind like, well let's transition right from aerials you know a lot of people are taking aerials a lot deeper than they used to you know i remember um apex you know when all these people started breaking out uh the brake inserts and uh, they were doing like three and a half second slider off delays to get all the rotations in. And Apex was like, we never even considered base jumping would be this aggressive, you know. And uh, you know, now that it's come to that, it, it seems that a lot of people are getting into some uh, dangerously unsustainable territory with their bodies. Um, do you have uh, some recommendations or advice on how you like continue to do these deep delays into the thousands of jumps and, and not just be haggard, man. Well, <laughs> it turns out those deep delays are not so good for your neck or your shoulders. And, um, yeah, I feel it. I definitely feel it. Cause I took lots and lots of four second delays and I did some, I'd say pretty permanent damage on my neck where if I, you know, take a hard slider down opening now, it, it can be pretty painful for, like a week. So I try to limit all of that. Um, I think one of the main problems was that I would do those. And then once my neck started hurting, I would continue rather than letting it heal. And then that eventually turns into chronic pain. So, um, you know, that's a, uh, that's a, a big thing to look out for. Um, you have to let your body heal. And, you know, if you're continuously taking deep delays, you're, you're going to hurt your neck eventually. Um, not only that, but inside your head you know it's not like you're hitting your head on something but your brain is kind of hitting the front of your skull and that time after time that whiplash type effect um i really do feel that that can cause some long-term damage that you won't feel for quite possibly a long time you know you're talking now you're getting into the territory of traumatic brain injuries and and base because the canopies are not opening any slower you know, they're, they're actually getting quicker on the openings because people want to jump low stuff. They want it to be like flying and, and like, uh, just, you know, super fast inflation, um, steerable right away. Um, so that's, you know, I, I think you really have to watch the delays, um, and kind of keep them a little bit to a minimum, um, or at least have some limits and not like to validate. Yeah, I was just going to validate what you're saying there um, about your your brain splashing around in your in your bucket there. It uh, it's called that coup contra coup injury. So like your brain will smash into the front of your skull and then go whipping back and smash into the back of it. So you 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 get injury on on both sides of your brain when when you have an uh, an incident like that. 
Wow. And we don't think about that kind of thing. I mean, it, m- most people, I, it's just starting to come up. I mean, I, I just got back from Dallas um, and did this. Uh, I got to do a brain scan. It's for this project I'm part of. And we all got brain scans. So I'm actually getting uh, the results in a couple of weeks to see what kind of damage might be done. Um, remember, I was a gymnast and a pole vaulter, and I was just like a kid that was jumping on trampoline all the time. So like, you know, jumping on trampoline, even I mean, I'm jumping, landing on my back, my brain sloshing all around. So I'm sure there's some residual damage. Of course, I didn't think about that when I was a little kid. I was just having fun. I was like, whatever, I'll probably only live till I'm 30 anyways. And um, and now I'm like 42. And, you know, there there is I, I do suspect that there has been some injury to my brain. Um, I'm fortunate enough to be kind of part of all these um, different projects like the 22 jumps project and this seven X project that I'm getting into. And a lot of it has to do with military guys that have been blown up or near, um, you know, lots of explosions. And, uh, and so I'm learning a lot about traumatic brain injuries and, you know, the symptoms, some of the symptoms that people get after so many hits, cause they come on gradually. Right. And you guys, all the listeners need to like, Make sure you keep it. If you're jumping heavy, you want to keep an eye out for this stuff and, you know, like put a stop to the injuries as soon as you can. Um, Otherwise, you start getting things like brain fog, depression, um, forgetfulness and just weird little cognitive like problems with your thinking. You get uh, you find it harder to sleep. Um and just, uh, yeah, there's a bunch of weird little things. And if you see any of that, you know, you want to, you want to try to figure it out, but I think it's just now starting to get talked about. And I think we'll find a lot more in the you know near future as they st- people start doing studies, possibly on jumpers, but it really does take a toll because everybody, like I said, everybody thinks that it like takes a hit to the head to screw up your brain. But yeah, if your brain's hitting, you know, the front of your skull and the back of your skull, it, it, uh, gets pretty bad. So some of the things I've done, you know, because I, I don't want my neck to hurt all the time. I don't want to wake up and be like, oh, I can barely move it. So I do um, a lot of unpacked jumps because that led me to like swooping within base, which I have a really good time. So I let my neck heal in between jumps um, by doing that. And then also another thing is um, I started using, I've probably done about 400 jumps with it now, but an, an X slider. Um, I saw this guy, Peter Bainey using one here at the bridge, um, several years ago. And I said, Hey, can I try that thing out? And I tried it out and I was like, well, I, first I tried it on a brand new Hey Duke, you know, the lines are nice and slick and it worked really well. And, uh, but it only worked for like about, I'd say eight to 10 jumps before it started coming down really slow. And I was just getting a normal snivel, snivel, like I had just a normal slider on there. Then I started getting, uh, pretty consistent off headings to the right. And I was like, huh, well, I feel like I was, you know, I was really excited at first. Then all of a sudden I was like, dang, it's not like, it's not very consistent. This isn't going to like do it for me. Cause I was still sniveling down there, you know? So I had the thought, okay, I'll try with, uh, I had a canopy and Ibex with spectral lines. So I put it on there and I was like jumping it over and over. And I was like, my thought was, well, the spectral lines don't seem to have as much fraying, especially, um, like, uh, inconsistent fraying. It was more 
uniform over each of the lines, any amount of fraying. And it wasn't as, it didn't seem like the fraying created as much friction. Um, so, um, and they were slicker too. So the, the idea was that the slider would come down faster and more consistently. Cause with the Dacron, you would see fraying maybe on the like rear, the right rear riser lines more so than some other spot, just given an example, um, where if there's more fraying on, you know, certain lines like that rear slider, rear right slider grommet, then, you know, that is going to make it kind of hang up briefly. It's going to let my canopy inflate unevenly, which would cause a lot of unhit off heading openings. Um, so with the spectra lines, that was kind of like the big, um, game changer in that. So now I have a Hey Duke with spectra lines and I get pretty consistent snivels with it. And, uh, the heading performance is a lot better, but it's still something that's a higher risk if you were going to go jump it off of cliffs or anything like that. Um, so there's a lot of experimenting to do. I would definitely like some advice to people. I would not just go buy a an X slider and put it on your rig and then go start jumping it <laughs> off of cliffs because oh, there's God. you know it looks cool and it sounds cool and I'm like you might see mine open and be like oh it's like he has heading on heading openings all the time but I see a lot of people get them and then like sick it's like opens up all this new stuff and no you want to get a lot of practice with it and figure out all the other things that i figured out um with it and that's just like some hints for you you know if you are having neck problems you know you still have to change your style of jumping you and it's still there's still going to be some heading performance uh issues with it it's just you know you, you need the spectra lines you need the right size slider and all that and there's a little bit of experimenting to do so anyways, that's one of the things for my, um, as far as longevity in the sport that I've gone to, um, because I couldn't take long delays anymore with the slider down. And I, um, I was kind of getting depressed because I was like, dang man, like I can't really do my tricks anymore, but that kind of brought me back to life in a sense and made me able to, um, do my certain tricks. It's just now my deployment takes, uh, the whole deployment sequence takes a bit longer, um, so I can't quite take as long of a delay off the bridge. You know, I can take up to about three seconds. Nice. So, uh, in total, we've got a couple of things here. We've got, uh, first just being aware that the parachute opening itself is, uh, takes a toll is a tax. And so keep an eye on those, mm -hmm. um, second to give your body, you know, time to heal. And I noticed that you're one of the most fit people in our sport. So like, um, fitness is key if you're going to make it to, you know, this many jumps and then third, optimizing your equipment, uh, such that, uh, you know, you're trying to give yourself every tool, uh, to, you know, get a soft opening and, and still, uh, please for the love of God, you know, <laughs> maintaining, maintaining some kind of margin for error. Cause holy shit, man, now that you mentioned that, yeah. like people just putting X sliders on, like I can see that coming in Moab and just, oh my God, is that going to oh, be man, nonsense? It's, yeah. It's, it's been happening for a couple of years. Cause there's a manufacturer that just started making them and nobody asked me anything, you know, like I've been jumping them and doing all this for like, yeah, a few hundred jumps. And it's like, you know, I, I want, I mean, I've already done a lot of work on it. So it's, you know, like I can help you skip some steps and possibly some more hardships as well. But, you know, it's like, you don't want to just see something and then 
be like, oh, sweet, I'm going to go do it. Kind of like tandem bass, you know? It's not like you just go buy a tandem bass rig and start doing them because you can't get a job at a drop zone or something. But. <laughs> yeah, please please hit Sean up about this stuff. You know, uh, he is absolutely 100% here to uh, help you learn some lessons without the hard lessons. And and certainly I've I've done both with uh, with Sean. Like, you know, I've, I've definitely not taken his advice and learned some hard <laughs> lessons and I've taken his advice and absolutely been stoked that I did. So please hit him up. Um, and this is kind of where we want to, we end with, uh, you know, if you could sit the whole community down for a second and share some words of encouragement, you know, about the things that you would like to see them do, you know, it might not even come in the form of advice, but you know, what would you like everyone to understand that they might be missing in the modern culture? I would say make sure that you, you know, take it slow. And remember, there's going to be bad things that happen along the way. Those are just little nudges to keep you on the right path. Don't take them as, you know, things that are just going to completely ruin your life. Try to take the positivity from it, even if it's losing a friend, you know, I mean, there's things you can learn at deeper levels from that. So it takes time. You have to be patient with all of this. Um, but, you know, take those seemingly negative experiences and, and try to learn the lessons from them because I feel like that can make you go a lot farther, you know, even if it means checking your jump style to make it safer so that you have more longevity, you know, like because it's really easy to start a certain way and, and really be like, full on just going for it but all of my friends like when we started we were all to an extent that way where we just had no fear and we're like really going for it if i talk to any of them now they're all like man we were you know a lot of them are like we were so stupid or like you know you end up learning this given enough time you end up learning and maturing as a jumper and you will your attitude will change so i'm just saying Take it from, you know, the experienced people, give yourself time to kind of acclimate to the, uh, to the reality of, of this sport, you know, and the reality is that there's, it can bring you amazing experiences and life-changing things that you would never forget, but also can be completely horrific and traumatizing to you. You got to know that from the beginning before getting into the sport but you won't really be exposed to it or see it for a while. You know, it could take you like a few hundred jumps until you're like kind of seasoned and it will be hard when that comes. But like I said, there's lessons you can learn from that. So take it slow. You know, there's no rush. You should enjoy the journey along the way. It's not like you, you don't want to get, you don't need to get hyper-focused on your social media and trying to show off. You don't need to get hyper-focused on how many jumps you have or like what tricks you're doing or like, you know, how many objects you have. It's like, enjoy everything about it. Um, cause you get to meet so many awesome people and you get to create such a sense of family with everyone and you get to learn so many lessons. And some of these lessons, like I said, can be like deeply spiritual lessons. Um, and, uh, yeah, you just want to try to enjoy every little bit of it. Even the packing, you know, I mean, I'm sure a lot of people know that the packing is like, it's kind of like a real Zen experience, you know, like you, it's hard to think of anything else while you're packing 
your rig you know, where it's kind of like a tedious or like you know can be boring to some people or a lot of work but you know it just helps you to focus on one thing and it's going to be kind of like a real relaxing experience so anyways enjoy enjoy the ride um other advice is yeah don't screw up your brain because you only got the one i mean um <laughs> you don't want your head all splattered on the inside of your skull because it just doesn't work as well you know and uh i mean there's like medical uh advancements in all this stuff and like unfortunately and fortunately i'm i'm kind of like a human base jumping experiment for all of us as far as that goes with all the openings and everything and I'm happy to be kind of like getting to be on the forefront of all that. But unfortunately, yes, my, I, I have done some damage to myself and, um, but I've definitely, it's pushed me in different directions to change my life, to combat all this stuff and, um, has taken me to a deeper level. And, um, I'm just kind of going with the flow and seeing where everything takes me. Cause I think that's where you gotta, what you gotta do. You gotta remember that everybody in the beginning, when, you know, when people started wingsuiting off of cliffs, they were flying straight out there, you know, that's all they were doing. And then eventually people started flying kind of like next to the wall. And then eventually it went to terrain flying and it's like, you can only get so close to the ground before you touch it. And then, uh, you know, it's over. So, um, take small steps and understand, you know, that you don't have to push it so far. You need to always leave yourself some buffer room, um, for any kind of, mistakes or just whatever might come along so always leave a little bit of room don't just push the margin don't be just push it until there's no you know more margin that's real important because as far as longevity if you're just completely pushing it all the time eventually it's going to be tragic we've all seen it kind of over and over you know and you can kind of tell who those people might be and as you get more and more into the sport you can see more you just become more open to seeing patterns and all kinds of different things, including yourself and other people, just patterns of their behavior and patterns of their jumping style and, and kind of what works and what doesn't. And, um, you know, that's a true blessing because that's not something you can really hear so much from other people, but I'm just saying, pay attention to everything, you know, like notice all the, all the different patterns that in, uh, in all the different things in base jumping and, you know, just keep it, keep it mellow. You know, like I learned from the beginning, I had um, about four bridle wraps over my time and they were all really freaky. And one of them, I almost killed myself in front of my dad. That was real embarrassing. And kind of the things that I learned from that is what were don't show off, whatever you do, you should be doing it for your own passion. And if you're one of those people that pushes yourself real hard, you might need to find that voice of reason that kind of holds yourself back a little bit and uh, mellows yourself out. Some people are overly timid and they might need to actually push themselves a little bit. You know, I mean, you don't want to overdo it. I, I try to take into account before I do any of my difficult tricks, I try to make sure everything is aligned. Like I'm rested. I feel mentally sharp. The, the temperature, like I like it to be nice. So, cause if I'm cold, I might start shivering and that makes me feel nervous. So I back off when it's like that you know, obviously wind conditions and all the normal stuff, but, and then even just the type of people around the, the personalities and energies around, because we do become really sensitive to all these different things in an intense situation, such as certain base jumps. When you feel certain energies, like someone's overly 
loud and obnoxious or, you know, they're really, really nervous because nervousness is contagious, then, you know, it, that might be time to back off, you know? So w- anyways, when all these things align, that's when I do my more difficult tricks. And I really don't always decide until right before I do them, you know, I always have options in my mind and I'm never afraid to just go default to the easier, more mellow tricks that I do because I'm not trying to show off. You know, there was a point in time where maybe I did because I remember having people, they would like throw out requests and I was like, oh, I guess I'm the flip guy. I guess I'll just do it. But now it's like, you know, I don't do it like that anymore. I do it for myself because I'm passionate about the sport for myself. I'm not trying to do it for someone else, you know, and I want to, I want to live, you know, but that being said, I know I'm not immune, you know, so it's a pretty serious thing. All of us that have lost so many friends, we know that. And you start to take on uh, a different attitude towards life. And uh, you see death differently. And, uh, you know, you can, things can start to flower from there rather than going down a, a dark hole. So, you know, keep focused on the positivity and going in that direction. Keeping it positive. What a wonderful way to end it. Shuma, it's been an absolute pleasure getting you on the track, bro. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks so much. I love you guys, and I, I was happy to have that awesome conversation. <laughs> yeah, I really yeah, enjoyed us too. that. I love you, and uh, thanks again. Thanks for joining us for another episode. If you have any comments or suggestions for future episodes, we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Instagram at exitpoint.podcast. And big shout out to Mark Stockwell, our sound mixer and co-producer for being part of this project. Tune in next time or come find us on the Exit Point.